0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast, by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce.
1: Hey, David. How are you doing today?
0: Good, good, good. How are you?
1: I'm pretty well, all things considered. First day of a mm-hmm. Full day of summer. Is it? June 21st. Yep. Actually, yesterday, the solstice was last night. So the days are already getting shorter. Today is one second shorter than yesterday for amount of daylight, but uh, doesn't seem to be affecting the outside temperature much.
0: Yeah, I uh, I was out there late at night. Uh, I, I I through this year I've been going out and doing running the stairs in the river valley late at night because that's when no one else is there, so I'm not in risking anyone else's health by breathing. And uh, so I've been going out late at night, and I've been, throughout the whole year, Bruce, I've been carrying a stick with me, kind of, I feel feel a little foolish about it, but, you know, there's coyotes down there, you hear them all the time. And I thought, is this, am I just, is this stupid, like, to carry a stick? Is this crazy? But today I read in the paper that there's been three coyote attacks in Calgary on human beings. Wow. Uh, So, yeah.
1: People got hurt.
0: I don't. I don't think so. I, I haven't. Re- I didn't. I just read the first few paragraphs. It looks like one right. coyote probably. But anyway, I felt a little bit uh, vindicated for carrying that stick all winter <laughs> because it is. I've been reading that they don't attack humans, but I was thinking, geez, you, hmm, just out of an abundance of caution, I just thought. Plus, you know, you're late at night in the valley. You never know what what you're gonna come upon. So, but. There's been coyote attacks on dogs a lot in the River Valley in Edmonton, a number of them. In fact, I witnessed one. I was out with my friend, and he, his dog went in the bush, and a, and a big coyote just went for his neck, dog's oh, yeah. neck, and uh, scared the hell out of that dog. It wasn't serious, but
1: uh, we may have Sounds an
0: urban coyote serious. issue. We'll see. Sounds
1: pretty All right. serious.
0: Yeah. A, a, a coyote that we're more familiar with. Oliver Ekman Larson's name has come up again, Bruce. I've been beating on that drum last week, just kind of in a a theoretical sense. But I guess Arizona's looking at moving him again. And um, good luck, Arizona. Like, as much as it was difficult last year, I I can't see how any team could view him with having anything but negative value. And Arizona having to eat salary, at least eat half, you know, eat salary. I don't know what amount of salary. Mm. If not take on if not having to pass on negative like other assets to move Ekman Larson but I could be wrong they only need one buyer I just hope that buyer isn't Ken Holland I I suspect it's not Mm -hmm. because Darnell nurse has stepped up and you can't have two eight million dollar d men on your on your left side you'd think hey Bruce you'd think
1: no you would think and you would think that Darnell nurse would be saying well I'm better than him so I need to get more than that 8.25 and now you're raising that Raising that uh, bar ever higher. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, uh, I saw a, a uh, summation from uh, analytics guy, Jay Fresh Hockey, that rates various uh, uh, categories of players' production. And overall, he had Ekman Larson in the fifth percentile. In terms of value versus contract, that's out of, uh, I believe it's versus contract. That's out of, you know, the where 100th percentile is best and first percentile is the worst. He was in the fifth.
0: That that, that you know. strikes me as true. Like he was overpaid by probably, you know, he's probably a four to five million. He was a second pair of lefty defenseman that had okay results, really good results on the power play last year. Mm-hmm. So he's probably about three, four million dollars a year overpaid at this point. Now, he could rebound, right. but I just I would prefer some other team take that bet than the Edmonton Oilers and more, you know. Bruce, today we're going to talk about, not about OEL so much, we're going to mm. be talking about uh, a bigger problem on the Oilers, which is their depth scoring has been a problem forever and continues to be one. And I have a novel solution for this problem, Problem, Bruce. At least novel in terms of the Edmonton Oilers.
1: Okay.
0: But we're going to look at two players specifically, um, whether Dominic Cahoon and Juju Arcara are in the keep, hold or fold category. So we'll go, right. we'll go through, uh, both of them. So you did a post on this, Bruce, just, you know, quickly, what's, what's, what's the damage? How did the Oilers do when the bottom six were on the ice this past season as compared to when, you know, generally speaking, the top two lines were on the ice and, and you're, mm-hmm. um, you're kind of, um. What's the right word you, you, for the top two lines? Your stand-in for that was when Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, or Drysaddle was on the ice,
1: and they. Anyone, any anyone, or two, any one or of them. occasionally all three of the three, because on, on any night you had two of them playing on the uh, top line and the third guy playing on the other line, and so between the among the three of them they basically defined the tops the top six. If you just chose McDavid and Drysdale, well, there'd be too many nights where they were together on one line, and then you're defining the bottom nine. Whereas Drysdale and Nugent Hopkins did this a lot: one moved up to the first line, one moved down to the second. But between them, they were the top six with uh, with uh, three other sidekicks who weren't necessarily hitting it out of the park either. But when the when the top six was on the ice, uh, the Oilers. Uh, outscored the other team at five-on-five five by 91 goals to 71, tidy plus 20 in 56 games, and that's just at even strength, of course. That doesn't include their phenomenal production on the power play, and uh, uh, very nice, uh, um, uh, about 56, a little over 56 percent of the goal share. But anytime those three guys were all three sitting on the bench, uh, and it was. One of them was on the ice about 60% of the time, and all three were off, at, well, 40% of the time. And in that 40%, uh, the bottom, uh, or what I've been calling the deep six, uh, got outscored by 24 goals four to 45 against, minus 21. So they took that entire plus 20 that the top six generated, and it all went away because they got outscored by 21. So... The third and fourth lines, you know, gave in and had the advantage that the first and second lines built up at five on five. Fortunately, because of the phenomenal power play uh, and other different manpower situations other than five on five, where the Oilers won a spectacular plus 30 this year. So overall, they were plus 29, but that was plus 30 in other situations, plus 20 with top six on the ice, but minus 21 with the bottom six. It's pretty clear where the problem is. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, I, I I looked at those same numbers over two years since Tippett has been here.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And um with More with McDavid same, right? on the ice, just with mm-hmm. McDavid, no one without okay. New George Dreysettle, they they have a fifty-two point seven goals for percentage. So that's McDavid playing that's with pretty great. crappy wingers, right? 50, 52 generally speaking, I think it's fair to say. Fifty-two percent goals for percentage. With without McDavid or Dreisettle, um, yeah, they're not he's not playing with well, not always crappy wingers. That's you know he's playing he's with a lot Blu- with sometimes. Leon. play well. He a
1: lot with Leon, right? But, I'm, but no, this with, is McDavid but, alone. This
0: is McDavid without alone guys. without right, gotcha. Drysaddle or an RNH. So I'm kind of looking at the the single player who's really driving it. That's what I was curious about because I was because I I wanted to see how these numbers looked without RNH, frankly. And so with, without Mc, with just McDavid without Nuge or Drysaddle on his line, he's playing with two other guys. Fifty two point seven percent. You go to Drysdale without McDavid or Nuge, he's at 47.7%. That's below 50%, so it doesn't sound very good. But again, remember, he's playing with pretty weak wingers at, at that point when he's not playing with McDavid or r h This is over two years in the Tippett era. Rnh without McDavid or Drysdale, Bruce, is at 37.5%. So he's a full 10% lower than um, sidle in terms of a driver. And he's a full fifteen percent lower than Connor McDavid as a driver. So it's it's a in some ways it's a bigger problem than just the the orders have two players who drive things, McDavid mm-hmm. and Drysidle. And there's really no one else, including Nugent Hopkins, um, um, who's a driver and you know, really holding things up in a significant way, I would argue. And I think right. the orders need to keep that in mind with the new contract negotiations. I think they are. Bruce, let's let's talk about um so there's a problem clearly in the bottom six, you know, maybe even the bottom nine.
1: And um, here's, here's the problem as well, David. I mean, this was last year where, I mean, the nudge was in the methodology just to separate out the bottom six, as mentioned. Yeah, earlier. I know. But my yeah. friend Darcy McLeod does it that way and it makes perfect sense to me because that's what you get. You get to the bottom But, but the, same, the same setup for, oh, since 2017, when they traded out Jordan Emerly, and they bought out Benoit Pouillat and they soon thereafter traded out Patrick Maroon. And 2017, uh, 18, 37.7% for that bottom six. Yeah. 18, 19, 36.6%. 2019, 20, that's the high water mark, 38.2%. And then this year it's brutal, 34.8%. It's a problem and it's a persistent ongoing, less than 40% in any of these metrics is terrible. And if you're looking at, like, a bunch of players over full seasons and they're consistently less than 40%, that is terrible. It has to be dealt with.
0: So um, why don't I get to my novel solution since we're on this this sure. subject. Bruce, if you look at Tampa Bay, uh, Tampa Bay
1: roster,
0: they have um, Tyler Johnson, mm-hmm. Andrej Pallett, Alex mm-hmm. Kalorn, Anthony Sorelli, mm-hmm. Donnie Gord, and Matthew Joseph on the team. They, these players all have one thing in common. They all played a year for Syri- at least one year for Syracuse. Their, the Syracuse Crunch, their main farm team. Mm-hmm. They all played at least one year. Some of them played two. Gord played three or three or four. And they were all pretty good scorers down there. Mm-hmm. They all ripped it up in the HL and they had success. And they were all, pretty much all of those guys, I'm going to say, are also kind of skill players. They They can, they do the two, some of them are better two-way players than others, but all of them have a high level of skill. And then they all got an opportunity to show in Tampa. They they valued the skill that these players brought. Yep. They brought them up, and they got jobs. And this is how they have solved their depth issue all the way through the lineup, from from top of the lineup to fourth line. Yep. The Oilers have, right now, right now, three players who kick butt in the American Hockey League. Three skilled players on the same line. Ryan McLeod, Cooper Marody, and Tyler Benson. And, um, I hear you. people were beating the drum, me and others this winter, like call them up, call them up. Mm-hmm. And finally they called one of them up and it was difficult. I understand yeah. because of COVID yes. I get, I so I get that. And I'm going to, I'm just going to, we won't talk about next winter, Bruce. They have got to be thinking mm-hmm. the, these three players could be their Yanni Gord's. The, this could be their, you know, this could be their Andrej Palat, mm-hmm. these, these, these kinds of players. But they, if they do not give them a chance, if they continue to hold to let's have grinders on those, let's have mm-hmm. role players yep. instead of players who who are young players who who did well at the HL, have high skill. Why not have that as your fourth line next year? Do you think that the, like the, the, the McLeod was um, because they don't kill penalties, David? Plus McLeod was plus twenty three, Benson plus fourteen, Merodi plus seventeen. Generally speaking, that that line of like every second game was plus one. Or better. at even strength, or yeah. even better than that. So better than yeah. that, probably. Could they not, could that line, if you brought that line up as your fourth line this year, Bruce, you mm-hmm. play them 10, 12 minutes a game at even strength. Is there, what's the chance that they're going to be closer to 50% goals for a percentage than 35 goals percentage? Can they do better than 35 goals for a percentage? I, you know, I'll I'm going to say, so. I'm just going to be crazy here, Bruce. <laughs> and say they could get to 45% goals for a percentage, those three players, you play them as a line regularly, high skill line. I think they could do it. I've seen them all play hockey. I've seen them play together. They're not going to get caved in like, right. like the Oilers group has. Now I'm okay. If there's some variation, maybe it's two out of, of three on the line, but they've got to give these guys a chance. And, and I hope that's in the plans for the Edmonton Oilers this year. Don't, like I know that they've had this strategy of bringing in tons of, you know, Grandlins and Devonshores and 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 other players like Gaitan Haas, Nigard, and and I think that was an interesting strategy. I think it was it had its moment in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. That moment has passed, and oh, now man. is the moment you have developed three mm-hmm. highly skilled players who, who who can attack and kick butt in the AHL. Mm-hmm it's incumbent on you if you're if you are a competent organization at this point I th- I say you give them a chance that's I'm going to write a post on this tonight that's my argument what do you think
1: yeah I've looked long and hard at that Tampa Bay uh, uh, organizational structure with a tremendous amount of envy I have to say as a fan and 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 uh, uh, <clears throat> in, in honesty Tampa Bay has been my number two team for almost 20 years i I've liked them since I had Marty Saint Louis and I've just kind of followed them. So I, I know the team a little bit. Now those guys you named six guys, uh pretty sure every one of those guys has played their entire career in Tampa Bay, right? Yeah. None of them has moved around the NHL before they went to Tampa. They got Gord and Johnson as free agents. They got Clore yeah. and Pullat and you know, in ridiculous late rounds of the draft. But they took the time to, they saw the talent. They took the time to develop the talent. As you say, a full year or more in, in Syracuse. Uh, I mean, they did the same thing with their coach, for goodness sake. And <laughs> they developed him in the minors. And, yeah. they, they, uh, uh, and they brought those guys up. And you know what? They wound up paying, like four of those guys are making on the order of five million bucks. I think. In the uh, end, yeah. Calor, Calorne, uh Gord. Uh, Johnson, Palat, they're all within a few hundred grand, one side or the other, of five million bucks they're getting paid, but what they do in Tampa is they develop their own talent and when they succeed, they pay those guys, it's like motivation, it's you know the carrot at the end of the stick kind of thing you know, that uh, if you do perform you know, we're going to treat you well and they treated those guys well and just about, I think the only outsider in the entire organization that has like a very significant uh, cap hit. unless you want to talk about uh, Mikhail Sergachev, who they traded for after he played four games in the NHL. So they basically developed him too. Uh, but the only outsider that came to them as a veteran that's getting paid is Ryan McDonough, where they went out and got, you know and traded for, targeted a specific player type that they needed, and they paid that one guy. But almost all of their $178 million in payroll or whatever it is right now, which is another matter don't get me started on the cap circumvention in Tampa Bay but uh, of all that of all their payroll almost all of it they're just given to guys that came up and grew up in their own system and yeah, Leventon, we have nothing like that we I keep saying we got Jujar Kara who's you know is going into his draft plus 10 year he's got 250 NHL games under his belt and at best he's an average player Right. Like he's not going to push the needle the way Yanni Gord and Andre Palat and Tyler Johnson have pushed the needle. It is
0: frustrating. Oh, is it, ever- it is frustrating. And, and, and what is the obsession? And I'm I'm not going to, I'm not just going to single out Oilers management here. Okay. I'm going to sing about us yeah. Oilers fans. What mm-hmm. is our obsession right now? Every bright, shiny free agent, you name that's bandied mm-hmm. about. is like, we got to get, you know, I see these lineups like, okay, Zach Ham, Hyman, in here and Dougie Hamilton in there, like these huge salaries, um, you know, to be, why can't we develop? Zach Hyman is leaving his prime as an NHL hockey player. He's leaving it. He could easily be the new David Clarkson, you know, a, you know, a player who signs a massive contract and then isn't nearly that. And is a terrible bet. Easily be that. Why are, why not try to say, okay, uh, Tyler Benson, go for it. This is your moment and you've earned it and we're going to give you that opportunity and we'll see how you do. Like I'm not against the odd acquisition, but I just think our whole, the whole focus in Edmonton is this let's get a let's get a big UFA. Let's get a big UFA. Let's get a big UFA. Now I'm not saying Holland's saying that Ken Holland was saying, no. I think he's talking about internal development as being, and I think that's exactly the right thing. I think the cap space is a mirage that the Oilers have. It's much Actually. less than most people think. Mm -hmm. everyone's like oh 30 million dollars no it's think about it if
1: if these players 20 million of it is spent yeah
0: if these players develop like nurse has and Pulley, rv might and yamamoto and bear and caleb jones and on and on and on you're going to need that money to keep these players if you if you go big on a contract for a free agent you're not and someone else comes really comes through you're not going to have the money to pay them so so Mm -hmm. i very quite quickly like you have the money right now but one summer from now you won't. So I'm really in favor of the Tampa model, which was based on the Detroit model. Ken Holland is the architect of the Detroit model. I, I I'm I favor him sticking with that. That's my vote. And uh, I'm not really big on the the free agent thing, honestly, Bruce.
1: But the trouble is the pressure's on because it's uh, now McDavid's draft plus seven season for goodness' sake, and Drysaddle's draft plus eight. Uh, can we? wait for a bunch of young guys to develop and form a secondary cast. And, you know, I, I, to me, it's, I mean, you're talking good common sense because the other plan clearly hasn't worked very well for quite a long number of years now. And with one exception, 2016, 17, they had, a, they had a, a club that was actually four lines deep, but that went away. And they, uh, uh, they haven't solved it with these external guys. When you sign them as free agents, you have to pay them way more than guys that are coming up through the system that are on entry level or bridge contracts. And it's and it's hard to get you know continuity on the team. You know, like yeah. Tampa Bay, you're looking at the same players. like I'm watching New York Islanders. You look at the Islanders and saying, geez, that's the same team they had last year. Almost all the guys are the same in the year before, and some of them have been there eight, ten years now. And, you know, there's a real sort of core group of you know, that guy's an islander and he may not be a great player. He might be Casey Kazikas or, or you know, or or something, but he's an islander and he's always been an islander, he's always played that role, he's part of the face of the team and, and the Oilers have got just precious few those kind of players, with the exception of the high first round draft picks that they've nurtured along the whole way. But of guys that yeah. developed in the minors came up pay their dues, came in the fourth line, moved up to the third, and so on. It's a short list.
0: We talked last time about the core 12 players, like Mm -hmm. the top seven forwards on a team, the top four Ds, and the number one goalie. And and there's a lot of players right now drafted in the five years who have potential to be core 12 players. Good teams will consistently bring in a core 12 player outside the first round about every second year. And the owners have done it twice, Bruce, Mm -hmm. since in this century. They did it with no. Jarrett Stolen with Jeff Petrie. That's it. They um anyway, you know, you brought up a good point. We're in the McDavid, you know, the right. McDavid era. We got to rush things. That was always the other thing with Shirelli. You know, we're gonna we're gonna jump jump start things by trading picks for Griffin Reinhardt. We're gonna bring in Milan Lucic. we're gonna bring in veterans, Andre Sekera. So mm-hmm. we've been doing this.
1: and you know, it
0: happened in Holland's first year when he traded for Athanasiu. Same idea. Mm-hmm. And you know he was a younger player, so it's a little bit it's a little bit different. Category, as was Reinhardt, but anyway, this hasn't worked. The thing about it is, Bruce, I would argue that this year, for the first time, if you're going to go with, let's say, you're going to go with the internal development model, mm-hmm. you actually have good candidates this year. Mm-hmm. You actually have some players like like it was just you know Benson, Marodi, McLeod, Line. These are all guys who've been three years, two years, two years in the AHL. Right veteran HL players wow. who have had consistent success now at that level, all right. of them um, decent prospects. Yeah. Um, in terms of defense, we, you know, we saw what happened this year. Evan Bouchard, you know, not a bad idea bringing in Tyson Berry, but he got blocked. So mm-hmm. if you bring in a bunch of guys, you know, if you trade for that third line center, instead of trying trusting Ryan McLeod, taking mm-hmm. a, taking a risk or, you know, trusting Ryan McLeod, if you trade, you're blocking them you will block, if you bring in another defenseman, Dougie Hamilton, you block Evan Bouchard. So so this is the model, this is the Edmonton model, and I don't think we've, in the past, you weren't blocking players, because they weren't that good. Right. These players are kind of good. Like, they've mm-hmm. shown enough, there's, statistically, when you look at their numbers and their ages, they line up very well with the Tampa guys, who who had breakthroughs and have become top, you know, right. contributing players on that team. So, I think that this is a good year if you're going to go with development. This is a good year to say, yeah, yeah, let's have the courage of our conviction and and be that organization as opposed to the one that's always chasing the the shiny thing.
1: So back to the core 12, because I I know you're you're running against the deadline, David. Uh, I had identified both Dominic Cahoon, uh, second-line left-winger, and Jujar Kara, third-line centre, effectively this year, somewhat debatable, as actually being in the core 12 and now both of those guys are restricted free agents and on the cusp of uh, uh, 20, 26 years old, they have one year left, they both have arbitration rights and we have two very different players, one who actually was developed by the Oilers, uh, drafted in 2012, third round, and one who was brought in as a, uh, as a uh, free agent, sort of quick fix, uh, at least he was cheap, and at least he was one year. It wasn't like we brought him in four years, four million. It was one year under one million. Uh, so which brings him up to decision time already. And we have to decide on both. Not we, I mean, we can talk about it, but the Oilers have to decide on what to do with both. And th- there's, there's a couple of common cases here. Uh, both of them have arbitration rights. So if the club issues them a qualifying offer, uh, and those guys decide to take them to arbitration, it's out of their control because then the arbitrator or the arbiter decides on the on uh, uh, on the uh, on the salary. And the team, they're in a low enough uh, uh, echelon that the team just has to accept it. So if the arbiter looks at uh, Dominic Kuhn's statistics and says, oh yeah, no, he's worth $2 million, they they have to deal with that. So I think in both cases they want to they're going to keep these guys. They want to actually sign them, not just qualify them, before the uh, before the deadline. But what do you think? Do they do they want to keep both guys, either guy?
0: I'm just really on the fence with both of them, Bruce. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'll go hold with both.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Cahun's Cahun um, is a smart player, good with the puck, uh, responsible defensively. Mm-hmm. In a third line role, maybe he makes sense. Right, I didn't particularly like him with Drysdale or with McDavid in the end. Mm-hmm. He, I didn't mind him with McDavid actually. Um, I would have liked to see more of that earlier in the year uh, to see if if they could have developed more chemistry. Yes. I, I think they they had a little bit of it, but it was hard to know. So I, I'm I'm not dead set against Dominic Cahoon. Like like let's say you had a fourth line of, um, let's say Marodi, McLeod and Cahoon, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 could work that might be an interesting fourth line to throw out there. I'm not, so, but um, he's not a, he's not a must keep Bruce. He's a minimum. He's a million dollar player. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to give him a raise. You don't want to give him arbitration. You just, cause he did have a good season two years ago where he had 2.3, 2.2 or 2.3 points per 60, like kind of a second line level of scoring Mm -hmm. this year. He, he was like 1.4. So he's kind of like third or fourth, fourth line level of scoring. But he's a smart player, and he he, he can he doesn't hurt you um, defensively, I, not particularly. I think he's an okay player, so I'm, I'm okay if they bring him back. But but right now, it would definitely be hold.
1: Yeah. Well, he is, uh, I'm looking at the last three years at Natural Static, players with a 1,000 forwards with a 1,000 minutes, and it's just always oh, it 380-something, and there's like 372 yeah. forwards in the league. And he ranks 109th with a 1.88 points per 60. So a very solid second line rate. And uh, uh, he's uh, uh, a goal and primary assist guy. Like that's where he gets most of his points are the so-called primary points. He does his damage in tight to the net. So I didn't see him as an outperformer in a top six role this year, but I'm kind of with you. Like we can't lump him in with the guys in the bottom six. That didn't get the job done because he really wasn't a bottom six. He was top six or bust. And when uh, when Tippett didn't play him, he put it on top two lines. He put him in the press box. He didn't even try him down low. So that might be a tip that the Oilers don't see him as that kind of player, and, and they will let him go.
0: Yeah, I mean, t- this is this goes to Tippett. Like it he does. talked last year at the start of last year about having two, three, like um, three. Scoring lines and a fourth line. I think. I think if, I, if I'm recalling correctly, that that passed his lips, but it didn't really come to fruition. It didn't come to reality. I think they've really got to go, f- just get four good lines.
1: May have, pa- may have passed his lips, but it didn't pass the smell test.
0: Not, not in the <laughs> end, did it. We didn't. We certainly didn't see that. We saw. So. Cahoon could be your Archibald kind of player this year, you know, like, um, or, excuse me, Cahoon could be your NS player this year. right? That, that guy who's in and out of the lineup, who who gets a chance at different things and you see how he does. And if he steps up and can match that old level of scoring, he'd be a useful player. So I'm not against Dominic Cahoon. I, I don't think he would take them to arbitration. Like if he got a contract, I, you know, so we'll see what happens. there. I just think, mm-hmm. yeah, just, Negotiated a deal with him, and the same with Kara. Like I, I Kurt Levin's our cult of hockey colleague was saying, it looks he looks he was saying the orders will probably qualify mm-hmm. Jujar Kara. Mm-hmm. Um, man, we've been through a lot. <laughs> Fans, okay. Jujar Kara has been through a lot in Edmonton. He looked like a like he was finally a player. And there's been other moments like this in his career where he's looked like he's finally a player. He had that great six weeks here in Edmonton on a third line um, with um, Archibald was on one wing and sometimes Ennis and sometimes Shore. And he looked really good, but then he got hurt a couple uh, injuries to the head and he didn't look the same after that. So that's a little, that's a little concerning. You know, you don't, you don't know what to, you know, should. You hold, how much to hold that against the player? Like mm-hmm. he finally takes a step up, he gets an injury, which is a recoverable injury, and and steps back. So if they qualify him, I'm not going to scream bloody murder because I think he's he's an okay bottom line player. But Bruce, it strikes me like I, I think I'm ready. To, like I would rather see Ryan McLeod than yeah. Jujuarker in the lineup. So you know they already have Shaw as your right. your. Center winger guy. That's what Juju Kara is. Do you want him as your fourth line center?
1: I would I would qualify Kara over Shore myself, but uh, there you go. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm not the GM. Uh, but uh, for all that the bottom six needs to be changed out, Kara is in my mind. And these are my personal biases, which I've expressed for a number of years here. But he's he's in That's my your mind job. The, the one guy. <laughs> you don't want to get rid of because he's the one guy that actually did come up through the Oilers system that's one, one of those you know all those lightning guys that we talked about earlier i bet you one or two of them has got a lightning logo tattooed somewhere on his anatomy right and and Kara is one of those players you know he's been an oiler for a long long time establishing himself very oh so glacially getting better year over year from his amateur days to the to his long time in the AHL to finally making it in his uh, second contract as an NHLer. And he does have uses. He, he can play uh, he can play winger or he can play center. Uh, he has value as a penalty killer. Uh, to me, he's coming as a face-off guy. He plays very physical. Like, I think he led the Oilers in hits per 60 this year for the minutes that he had. He was just hammering the body all the time, even more than Archibald. I uh, just didn't have as much ice time, and he. Uh, uh, I think he's a, he's a useful player. the The qualifying offer would be one point three million. Uh, I don't sure they would go any higher than that. I mean, it's a lot you know, of money
0: for Jujar Karra, frankly. Well, I'm in the kind of I'm in the kind of a, that's a lot of money but for that, Jujar Karra. The
1: hold position is your your, your issue at the, at the at the existing base, so. Well,
0: hold can be, we're not qualifying you, but we're negotiating with you to keep you at a million or 800,000. That would be my hold on Jujar Kara. That's what I would recommend. Like, don't, don't, no, don't give him a raise.
1: Well, Holland was the guy in in July 1st of uh, 2019. uh, He signed Kara to a two-year extension at that time with a significant raise. I think he was, he went from 650,000 league minimum at that time to, to an average of one point two. So it almost doubled its rate. And maybe it was an overstep. But I guess that's what it took to get the deal done. But
0: you can keep uh you can keep Kara mm-hmm. and you can move out turris Ennis, and Chason. and bring oh. in Benson, morody and McLeod. So that's that's the trade you could in the bottom six, that's one of the possibilities. You moved again turris Ennis, Chason are gone, Benson, morody and McLeod are in their place. And, um, you know, it's, you're getting rid of kind of, I don't, role players, I guess, whatever they were. I mean, I like chase on, and I didn't mind Dennis. The other issue
1: is, you you need role players for your special teams, and that Tippett put a big emphasis on special teams. And maybe that was something I should have mentioned in the article, was of these bottom sixes. The one facility they did have, which showed up on the, you know, the goal differential was Edmonton's power play was, much better than the other team's power play Which is credit and part to Edmonton's penalty killers Like Edmonton scored 48 power play goals And they allowed only 27 if That's a nice gap
0: Turis, Ennis and, Turis and Ennis don't really have special team roles on yeah. obviously does on the power play But I think he can be And, and he did exceptionally well But I think Puglia-Arvey can, can take that role And do a, uh, a close as Should be ready as, Should be ready So I'm not that worried about that particular role Bruce I do have to get going here so um we'll just we'll just have to leave it there so sorry guys uh and girls guys and old, gals for
1: and hold. The short yeah I think we both said the same thing
0: old and hold
1: yeah so so yeah it's just it's, it's the trouble with this bottom six so many guys on the cusp eh?
0: yeah but
1: anyway
0: time to move them out time to change yeah. all right Bruce thanks for talking today
1: thanks for listening everyone